We're studying the book of Matthew, and we're in chapter 9. And by way of review, let's look back for a moment at from chapter 5 and what we see Matthew trying to get across to his readers. The reason each of the gospel accounts vary somewhat is the audience and what the writer is trying to convey to the audience. Well, Matthew's audience is primarily Jewish, and he's taken us on quite a journey. He's showing us that first the Messiah is the prophet like Moses who had authority to teach a new Torah halakha, a new way of walking out the commands, the instructions of God. We found that Yeshua is not out to change Torah, but to teach us the true and full meaning of Torah. So Matthew begins with the Sermon on the Mount to teach us of life in the kingdom under the reality and the true meaning of Torah. And he begins it with some blessed hours. And they are the reward for following Yeshua. And then he continues with Yeshua's teachings on Torah. He teaches us his interpretations, a true understanding of Torah, teaching us the heavy cost of discipleship and the way those in the kingdom would live. He showed that the halakha of the rabbis was lacking, even though... He would even go so far in in chapter 23 to tell us that the rabbi's halakha was self-serving. It was a heavy load. He makes these statements while he teaches us a halakha that at first seems more difficult to keep. Of course, it's not more difficult because the halakha of the kingdom is from the heart and it's a spirit-led halakha. Simply stated, it's a halakha that keeps at the forefront of your life and your mind loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. He's teaching us about community, about family, about loving each other like family, like brothers, like sisters, like fathers. He also tells us what is hard about being a disciple is that it will cost you everything in life. To the rich man, it will cost you your wealth. To the rabbi, like Rav Shaul, it will cost you what you've learned because your traditions mean nothing to God. But though it's costly... We learn through the blessed hours of the surpassing greatness of knowing Yeshua and how that makes everything else in life dumb, as Paul would say. And as these teachings come to an end, after the chapter 7, he begins to show us the authority of Yeshua as the Son of Man, as, as the Messiah. He has authority to make the unclean clean, heal the sick, that he's the end-time judge of men and demons. And that the demons obey him even now. And between the stories of his power and authority over sickness and disease, he weaves lessons of discipleship for us. He explains to us that the key element of entering the kingdom is faith through the story of the centurion. And in that same story, he tells us that the Gentiles will will put their hope in him and that hope will be rewarded as they sit down at a meal with the other men of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, Matthew is taking us on a journey through Yeshua's life to show us that this is the Messiah Scripture spoke of. And with all these stories, he's setting us up for a declaration of Yeshua in chapter 11. He's building us up for a final statement by Yeshua that he is the promised one. He is the Messiah. And again, woven through all of these miracles and healings, He's teaching us about community, about discipleship. And we'll see that again next week. But let's pick up in chapter 9 and verse 18 as he gives us some more proofs of his authority. Verse 18 says, 
While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Yeshua got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the hem of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Yeshua turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. And so Yeshua is confronted by this ruler whose daughter has died. If we go to Mark, we find out a little bit more about this story. Mark gives us a little more information in chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, When Yeshua had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. And while he was by the lake, one of the synagogue rulers named Jarius came And seeing Yeshua, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And so Yeshua went with him. And so we have this synagogue ruler. His name is Jarius in Hebrew, Yairus. It's related to the name Yair that we would have today. He would be a powerful man in the synagogue, probably the Chazan. And a chazan now in a synagogue is just the cantor. But back then his duties were much more involved to include even overseeing punishments and so forth that were handed out. And he's, he's heard of the things Yeshua is doing and he comes and pleads with him to heal his daughter. And seeing his faith and that he's certain that Yeshua will heal his daughter, Yeshua goes with him. But on the way, this woman who's been bleeding for years comes and touches him. You know, when we read this, we don't really grasp the seriousness, the tragedy played out in this woman's life. This illness would have rendered her in a continually unclean state. It would have made her an outcast from the rest of the community. Someone no one wanted to be near. Understand what this means. If you look at the purity laws, you'll find that virtually anything that she touches will also be unclean. Not only, not only that, after she touches it, it can transfer un- that uncleanness to anyone else who touches. If she touches a garment, and then you put that garment on, it will render you unclean. And so she's going to touch Yeshua's garment, which will render her unclean. And she touches him on the cloak, as we read in Matthew, and the word means, the Greek word here means a garment, a mantle, a tunic. You see, anciently they would wear a poncho-type garment with four corners. And attached would be the fringe that the Israelites were commanded to wear. If we go to Luke, he records this incident and he says, he uses a different word, he uses karspidon, and it actually means the fringe of a garment. The Greek word there, karspidon, means fringe. So, So she comes and she touches the hem, the fringe of his garment. Let's read a little farther in Luke in verse 45 of chapter 8. It says, Who touched me? Yeshua asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding. They're pressing against you. But Yeshua said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Yeshua knows someone has touched him because power, some translations say virtue, but it's more accurately power, 
And the interesting thing here is that rather than Yeshua contracting uncleanness, power goes forth and makes her whole. Notice that he didn't have to do a thing to her. But just touching the fringe of his garment, that power went forth and she was made whole. And Yeshua says to her, thy faith has made you whole. And to understand what Yeshua is saying here, we have to understand that true faith in a Hebrew mindset requires three things. First, it requires love. To experience God's love. To love God with all your heart. To know that God is all that He says He is in Exodus chapter 34. That He's the compassionate, loving, and forgiver of sin. To have experienced that compassion, that love, and that forgiveness. Second, it takes knowledge. You must have knowledge of God and of His Word. The difference between a new believer and an elder is knowledge. An elder has knowledge of God's Word and of God that the new believer doesn't have yet. It makes his faith greater. That's what makes the prayer class and the kind of prayer that we teach here so important. Because with the kind of prayer that we teach in our prayer class, which is going to come up very soon, we teach a prayer that's just not talking at God, but communicating with God so that you come to know Him. And of course, lastly, faith You must have works. You must have good deeds. Remember, James told us flat out that faith without works is dead. It's no faith. So how did her faith make her whole? Well, she knew the word of God. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 says, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. The son of righteousness here, we all know, refers to the Messiah. It says, you shall arise with healing in his wings. And the word for wings there in the Hebrew is kanaf. It means the corner, the fringe of the garment. So she remembered this prophecy. She knew it spoke of one who was coming, a righteous one. She saw the son of righteousness. She reached out and grabbed a hold of the fringe of his garment. She grabbed a hold of this prophecy and was made whole. The fringe were given to the Israelites that they should remember the commands of God. They're symbolic of the commands of God. And that trust in God's word, that faith, made her the recipient of this promise. She wasn't the only one who'd read that promise. Because if we go to Matthew or Mark chapter 6, we read this in verse 56. And wheresoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, the border of his garment. And as many touched him were made whole. There were those in every village who had faith in God's word that Yeshua was the Messiah, the Son of Righteousness. And they reached out and grabbed a hold of the promises of God and were made whole. If you know that the word of God declares something, you can lay hold of that promise. And so Yeshua continues though. He continues to the house of Yairus, and and we read in verse 23, it says, And Yeshua entered the ruler's house, and he saw flute players and a noisy crowd. And he said, Go away, the girl's not dead, but she's asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took the girl by her hand. She got up. The news of this spread through all that region. Yeshua arrives at the house, and there's a funeral taking place. The flute players are there. The mourners have been hired. And where it says a noisy crowd, understand that these were noisy affairs. 
They would hire men and women who would shriek. You probably heard something very similar to this in some of the Arab funerals that you've seen on TV in the last few years. Very much similar. The book of Mark explains this noise a little more fully. In chapter 5 and verse 37 it says, He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came into the home of the synagogue ruler, Yeshua saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead. Asleep. Yeshua said to Yerus, he said, Don't be afraid, but believe. If Yeshua were to say to the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, but believe. What would have come to his mind is a might different probably than what comes to our mind. What would have come to his mind would probably be the story of Abraham. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1 says this, as Shaul recounts this. What shall we say then? Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, think about it, in a very similar situation, believed God. When he offered his son Isaac, everything that he knew to be true told him that as soon as he put that knife to his throat, Isaac would die. And as soon as he lit the fire underneath him as a burnt offering, he would never see Isaac again. However, Abraham believed God. And he put aside everything that he knew to be true in this life. And he put his confidence instead in God's word, in the words that he had spoken to him. For he had told him that Isaac, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. He put his confidence in God and his son was spared. In fact, by tradition, he was received back from the dead. You see, that's what it means to believe. To trust God above everything you know to be real. Because all that truly is real is God. And this is a great passage. I love this passage because it demonstrates what Yeshua did on this earth. He displayed the reality of the kingdom of heaven in the sight of men. These men in this passage with their eyes on this world said the child is dead. The mourners said the child is dead. People with their eyes on this world had already begun mourning. But Yeshua, the king of the age to come, the king of the kingdom of heaven, brings to the world the truth and the reality of the situation. What was the reality of the situation? Well, this little girl wasn't dead. She was just waiting for the coming of the king to be awakened from the sleep she was in. And Yeshua came to wake those who were sleeping. You see, the reality of the situation is the little girl was 12 years old, not even old enough to be held accountable yet. Dead to Yeshua is to be dead in your transgressions. She's not dead. She's just waiting for the king to wake her up. Well, you might remember in the story of the demons across the lake, just as the king, the son of God, came to those demons across the lake before he was expected to come, so did the king come to the little girl a little earlier and merely displayed what was the truth of the situation. The girl was not dead, but waiting for the king. The lesson here is get your eyes off of the world and on the king and on his kingdom. Take hold of the promises that are in his word as the woman with the issue of blood had done. Begin to see things as they truly are in the kingdom and begin to trust the God of Abraham as Abraham trusted God and your problems will flee. The fact is, in the kingdom of heaven there is no death. There is no sickness. 
There is no infirmity. And if you begin to see with the reality of the kingdom and trust in the reality of the kingdom, you may see the reality of the kingdom made manifest in your life just a bit earlier than others expect. That's what healing is. Healing is nothing more than the reality of the kingdom displayed in this present evil age. So there's an observation to be made in all of these incidents. And if we are disciples of Yeshua, then we need to take note. And what I want you to see that Yeshua in his ministry shows a distinct lack of concern over uncleanness. Particularly when it comes to helping someone who's in need. Or when witnessing the kingdom to others. He goes into unclean territories. He touches unclean people. He does not overly concern himself with an unclean person who touches him. Nor to go into a house where there's a dead body. As disciples of Yeshua, I think we need to take note of these things. You know, because I have to tell you in the Messianic movement, there's kind of a trend to adhere to things like purity laws, to kosher laws. Laws regarding the Sabbath. And it's really sometimes, it gets so legalistic that it's a detriment to our witnessing to others. Even though it's evident from these passages that Yeshua didn't really have any such concern. What was more concerned to Him was not the uncleanness, but the person. This holds true in, in our communities today. Our traditions regard sometimes regarding food and our paranoia over this food or that food. Get in the way of our witness. We need to stop our paranoia. We need to be witnesses of, of Yeshua. And don't get me wrong, I'm not telling anyone to go out and eat unclean animals. I don't do it. I, I don't want anybody else to do it. I don't expect other people to do it. But you have to think about this. There's a difference between eating an unclean animal on purpose and going on a witch hunt with every food, looking at every dis, little deep ingredient to see if there might be this or that. We don't need witch hunts. Yeshua wants us to put that effort into witnessing the kingdom. There's a danger of disciples of Yeshua living our lives, turning inward instead of outward. And we need to take care that it doesn't happen to us. Verse 27 of chapter 9 says, As Yeshua went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Yeshua warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Yeshua and when the demon was driven out of the man the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed and said nothing like this has ever been in Israel but the Pharisees said it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons a couple of things here first they call him the son of David which is the same thing as calling him the Messiah the king they recognized Yeshua is, and it is who Yeshua is, and it is their faith in that and in the scriptures that makes them whole. We're getting these examples of Yeshua's authority because as some of John's disciples come to him in chapter 11, Yeshua will declare for them and for those who have ears that he is the Messiah. 
the woman touching the fringe of his garment in the statement that was made everywhere he went they touched the border of his garment and were made whole are proofs of his messiahship. You know, we kind of read them and we focus on the miracles done, but to the Jewish person of the first century who knew what the prophet said, this was proof that he was Messiah, the son of righteousness. Well, the same with all the miracles. Matthew and Yeshua are preparing the people and, and those who read this letter for this statement that's about to happen in chapter 11. People often say Yeshua never claimed to be the Messiah. That's ridiculous. With every story, with every lesson, He shouts it. Chapter 9 closes like this. Verse 35. Yeshua went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest is truly plenteous, and the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of a harvest, that he will send forth laborers to the harvest. We're going to look at these verses more closely next week, but I want you to see something here from an eyewitness of the events of Yeshua's life. He chose this event... And the Spirit chose this event in the words of this passage to convey something to us about Yeshua. It says, He healed every sickness and disease as He preached the good news. Listen, folks. If we preached that very message, we would see more people healed. But when we witness the Messiah to someone, we we rarely address that the Gospels declare that Yeshua came to heal every disease. That's precisely what the disciples declare to show Yeshua is the Messiah. Why don't we preach it? You know something? People don't hear it, so they don't expect it. How can you have faith if you haven't heard? How can you know if you haven't heard? Yeshua is able to heal. The point I want to make is that we can expect this. We can, ex- we can expect and we should be preaching. When he saw it, says he was moved with compassion. Part of who God is. He is the compassionate one. Abounding in love. You know, he sees us as healed. He doesn't see us as sick. And if we trusted and believed God and saw ourselves as He sees us, our healing would arise. Look at what he says, what else he says. The people of the land were like sheep with no shepherd. It's because the religious leaders of the day were not shepherds of the people. They were not ministering to the people. They were the very thing. I warned you that would come to be. Their walks were focused inward. They had reduced the people to slavery with their laws on purity and so forth. Folks, the days are short. It's time that we begin to declare fearlessly who Messiah is. It's time we realize as we walk through this world, witnessing Him to others, that He's able to cleanse every uncleanness that we're exposed to. Eating or touching something unclean won't send us to hell. It won't incur the wrath of God. And we're going to leave off here 
But I want you to go home this week and I want you to focus on these last few verses. These last few verses of chapter 9 and the first verse of chapter 10 because next week we're going to find some things that I find truly amazing in these, in these few verses. Amen?